Well, welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And if you would grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament, first book in the Bible, chapter 30. We're going to cover 20 chapters today. Is that good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's like, wow, really? Uh, yeah, that's all we're going to do. 20 chapters. I'm not going to read all of it. We're just, but we're going to kind of cover through. We're talking about shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and we're dealing with betrayals. Uh, what happens in life when you didn't do anything wrong, but something wrong happens to you? What happens when you're not doing anything wrong, but this is happening to you? See, the, the first week in the series and the second week in the series, we've been talking about, you know, what happens when we miss opportunities? What happens when we fall into sin or when we walk into sin? Uh, next weekend, we're going to talk about what happens when you fail. Maybe it's not necessarily sin. You just fail. How do you fail forward? How do you move out of failure in, in any area of life? But today I want to talk about what happens when there are regrets, there are shoulda, coulda, wouldas, I should have done this, I wish I would have done that, I could have done this, and they're happening to us. And you're almost, you're betrayed. And you don't do anything wrong, but you are dealing with the effects of wrong things happening to you. And so the person that, that then the life I want to look at is Joseph. And Joseph, then just so you know this, Joseph is like one of my favorite people in the Bible. Like when I get to heaven, like Joseph and I will live on the same street. I'm just telling you, we'll be a part of the same country club or something, but I mean, we'll be together. And, and because, and so if I say something about Joseph and you kind of go, and I read that somewhere, it's probably, I, I have been researching Joseph, studying the life of Joseph. Matter of fact, I'll give you one just very simple, uh, but I think somewhat good overview of the life of Joseph. It was written by Chuck Swindoll. It's called Joseph. Uh, and uh, Swindoll does a, a series of characters in, in, throughout the Bible. And he does a great job on the person of Joseph. So if you read that uh, or, you, or you come across something and you go, man, that sounds like I read that. It's because I probably did. I got it from somewhere, all right? And uh, I, I, I downloaded last week's message off the Internet and just, I'm just teasing. But I'm, I, you understand what I'm saying? So I just want people to go, oh, man, I can't believe this is... This is just one of those fascinating characters to me. And the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 30, and it gives us a life of Joseph. And here's how it began. Joseph is the son of Jacob, uh, and uh, his mother was Rachel. I don't have a lot of time to go into all of that, but, but basically Joseph's father, Jacob, uh, had uh, two wives, and, and let's just say four wives. It'd just be easier to explain it that way. He had four wives. And, and of those four wives, he had 12 sons, and he had uh, one daughter. Uh, but Rachel was the love of his life. And Rachel bore him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, she dies. That's Joseph's little brother. And so Joseph is raised in the house of Jacob. At the point in time that we really began to get his life story, his mother has passed on. Uh, the other three wives are still living. And Joseph is despised by his brothers because in Genesis chapter 37, uh, it says that Joseph's father, Jacob, loved him and favored him above all of his other brothers. So he was at least honest about his favoritism. Uh, if you were in a family where you were not the favorite, but your parent or your dad said who the favorite was, then that would be like Jacob. I mean, but Joseph was the favored son. And so much so that the Bible says in verse 3 of Genesis chapter uh, 37 that jo Jacob gives Joseph, his son, this beautiful multicolored coat. Now, there's been, there's been Broadway plays done on this. I mean, you know, J Joseph and the Technicolor coat and, and the whole deal. And so this has been a very much played story. And the bottom line is, is that it showed that Jacob, the father, loved him more than he loved the other 11 boys and one daughter. 
poor one daughter. All right. And so the Bible says that Joseph has this gift of dreams and of interpreting dreams. And so he gives this dream. And what he does wrong is that he shares it with his brothers. Because the dream goes like this. There's going to come a day that I'm going to be great. And you and mom and dad and everybody will bow down to me. Now, if you had, anybody have brothers in this room? You're okay. You know what I'm talking about? If you said that to your brother... What would, they would beat you up. I mean, it's just right. That's what they would do, right? I mean, they would say, yeah, right, whatever, punk. And so it would just be, you know, it's just that animosity between siblings and that kind of a deal. So Joseph's brothers, though, are hardcore. They despised him all the more. And so what they decide to do is not kill him, but they decide to sell him into slavery. You're talking about some rough brothers. You know what I'm talking about? And so they decide to sell him into slavery. And, and so, and then they take this beautiful coat and they take animal uh, blood and they, they, they put it all over the coat. They go back to Jacob and said, look, your favorite son, Joseph, yeah, he died. And, uh, and here's his coat, by the way. I mean, just add insult to injury. And so they, they, he gives them that and basically says that he's dead. And jo- Joseph is about 17 years of age at this point. And he gets sold into slavery into the household of an Egyptian official named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a powerful man, had a large house, and, and Jacob comes, excuse me, Joseph comes in, and he begins to work for Potiphar, and the Bible says he has favor. And, he, and basically, Potiphar gives him power over everything in the house except for his wife. Now, Potiphar's wife was a bit of a cougar. I don't know else how to say it. It just is what it is. And so she has made sexual advance after sexual advance against Joseph. And Joseph has been a man of God and has resisted and has said, no, no, no. Finally, in her final attempt, she grabs him. And that's the name Cougar. She grabs him and he flees away and she has his coat. And the only thing she can do is begin to yell. And when she yells, the guards come in and finally her husband comes in and she tells this story. This Hebrew slave that you brought in here has tried to sexually harm me. And, and, I, and, he, and when I began to scream, he ran out and, I, and, and he left his coat. And here it is that identified him again. Joseph has problems with coats. (laughs) And so he loves his coat, right? And so she does this. And so Potiphar, what's interesting, Potiphar never deals with his wife. Probably because this has been an ongoing issue their whole marriage, but whatever. So it's one of those politically arranged deals. And so, but what he does is he takes Joseph and he sends him to jail. Now I want you to notice something. Look at chapter 39, verse 2. As soon as Joseph is sold into slavery, here's what the Bible says. And the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Then he goes through all this problem. He actually operates with integrity. He says no to this woman. He keeps himself sexually pure. And again, he does the right thing, but he's now gone from being slave to being imprisoned. And look, look on down in verse 21 of Genesis 39, and it says it again. The Lord was with Joseph. At the lowest of his life, when things go from bad to worse, the only word he gets is that God's with him. The only word he gets is that God's with him. Sometimes when we're going through life and things begin to happen to us, the only thing that we get is God's with me. And in those moments, we kind of think that's just kind of like superficial language. But it comes out to be something way more powerful than that if we'll... but. Listen, and the Lord was with Joseph, 
And the Lord was with Joseph. And he goes to prison. And Joseph understands that God's with him and God gives him favor and God helps him. And he basically runs the prison, in essence, as an inmate and leads and is a leader. And while he's in prison, he knows that God hasn't forgotten him. The Lord was with him, but he helps two other prisoners, a cupbearer and a baker. And they both have a dream and Joseph has a gift of interpretation of dreams. And so they tell Joseph their dream and Joseph interprets their dream. And the interpretation of their dream got them out of prison. And Joseph says this, look, look at chapter 40, verse 23. He asked them not to forget him. And they said, but they did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph says, look, I'll help you with your dream and I'll interpret this. And the one thing that I want you to do, could you please help me get out of here? But the Bible says they didn't remember him. Scholars tell us for two more years he sits in that prison. Could you imagine at that point? Could you imagine what he's going through in that point? I mean, to this point, he's been forsaken by his family. He's been falsely accused by his employer. And he's been forgotten by his friends. Can anybody identify with that? Forsaken by his family, falsely accused by his employer, and he's been forgotten by his friends. And the only thing that he has is that God's with me. Now, at that point in life, life becomes very painful. We understand at this point, he's somewhere in his late 20s. He's been doing this thing for 10 years. I'm sure he thought at some point maybe he might get rescued. Maybe they may, somebody may tell, you know, his brother Reuben or, or his brother Benjamin or somebody may, may confess up that they sold him and so his dad will come looking for him. But by 10 years into the journey, 27, 28 years of age, 29 years of age, he just goes, this is my lot in life. I'm going to be this Egyptian kid, excuse me, this Hebrew kid that's going to be enslaved and imprisoned in Egypt. And this is about as good as it's going to be. And great, God's with me. But this is a painful situation. But you, I want you to stop for just a second. It's in these types of moments, in these types of pain, that God begins to speak. Let me say that again. It's in these types of moments and in these types of pain that God begins to speak. C.S. Lewis says that this becomes God's megaphone. Here's exactly what he says. Quote, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pain. Pain, when handled properly, can shape your life for greatness if you let it. Pain, pain that you don't ask for, pain that you don't deserve, pain that you didn't, you didn't do anything to, to get, will shape your life for greatness if you let it. And you may think, that's cruel, man. I mean, that's just jacked up. That's messed up. Why does anyone need to suffer? And what benefit comes from suffering and from pain? I'm not saying God causes pain, but I'm saying God allows the pain and the struggles of life that we deal with to be something that he speaks to us in. A.W. Tozer says this, It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Look at it in scripture. To the extent at which God used someone was to the direct extent at which they were broken. More brokenness, greater use. Less brokenness, less use. We want God to use us greatly. We want God to speak in our lives. We want to do great things for God. But are we willing to be broken? Are we willing to suffer pain? I mean, we go, oh God, fill my hands. Lord, fill my hands. And we have nothing but a dream. Oh God, fill my hands. But as God begins to fill our hands, there's going to be moments and times, the Bible says it this way, that God gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in those moments where God takes from your hand, how do you respond? And the pain, do you hold your hands or do you release it? 
Oh, you had it open when he was filling it, but now that he's taking it, now that he's moving some things, now that things are going on that you don't understand, that pain is coming in that you didn't ask for, how do you respond? Because in those moments, those shoulda, coulda, moment, shoulda, coulda, woulda moments of life, of betrayal, of hurt, of pain that come out of things that we don't ask for and that we didn't do anything really to merit. You have two choices. One, you can become disillusioned and bittered. You can become disillusioned and embittered. You know people like this. They've been done wrong. They're mad. And that's the way it is. They're closed-minded. And even as I preach this message, they just, the wall goes up. I mean, it just goes up, man. It's just automatic. It goes up. Nobody's ever going to do me this way again. Nobody's ever going to do this to me again. I don't even know if I really trust God. I say I do, and, I, and I'll sing the songs, but I really don't know if I'm going to live that way. I'm going to give God a Heisman because I was hurt here. So I'm going to protect myself. I was hurt here, so I'm going to protect myself. I'm never going to be done wrong like this again. And the problem with this is that you become embittered to the point that it's like a cancer that eats you from the inside out. And it sits and it soaks and it sours your spirit. I'm telling you. And it destroys you. That's the reason why the enemy allows pain and wants to bring as much pain in your life. Because there's something about this human condition that if we become a victim... If we become a, a victim of circumstance, if, if we can point a finger and go, they did me wrong, and that was wrong, and I can't believe I was done wrong, and we can point it to that, all of a sudden we began to be embittered and disillusioned, cynical. Or the other option is that we can trust a divine perspective. We can trust a divine perspective. We can go, I don't understand what's going on. This is what divine perspective means. I don't have the ability. I'm not God. I'm limited. I have a beginning and an end. But I trust God that his word is true and that he's working all things out for my good. I trust that his word says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I trust that God is not a man that he would lie. I trust that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I trust that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I trust because that's what his word says. And there's an amazing difference between the people who choose to be embittered and disillusioned from pain in life and people that choose to have a divine perspective. And Joseph chooses to have a divine perspective. And the Bible reads this out. It shows this out. Because he goes through this, this two-year waiting period, and then finally, one day, everything changes. Look at chapter 41. One day, everything changes. I just want to tell you, before we read this verse, I just want you to know, we serve a God that when he moves, he moves fast. <laughs> when it happens, it happens fast. And in one day, in one moment, in one instance, you can go from the dungeon... You can go from the pit, you can go from the prison to the palace. Look at it right here. Chapter 41, verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Joseph, the Bible says at this point in time, is 30 years of age. For 13 years, he's been imprisoned and enslaved, and he's been going in enduring pain. For 13 years, not 13 days, not 13 weeks, not 13 months, but 13 years of his life. And in all of that, he preserved his spirit. In all of that, he kept, he kept a divine perspective. And all of that, he kept his heart right. How can you be so sure? Because what happens in this moment tells everything. 
Because here's what, here's what goes on. Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. And it's a dream that he cannot get away from. Now, historically, we know the Egyptians were very spiritual and superstitious people. And so they believed in, in that, that God would speak in these ways, or one of the gods would speak. And so no one could do this. So Joseph comes before him. And Pharaoh says, it's been brought to my attention that you can do this. How was it brought to his attention? It was a cupbearer from way back when, when he was in the prison. I bet Joseph was thinking, I'm going to deal with him in just a minute. Well, let me waste away for two years. I'm fixing to show him. You know, oh, no, he didn't do that. But right, he gets to that point and he says, here's my dream. And I love what Joseph says. I can't do this, but God can. And God will help me help you. If you're embittered and you're disillusioned and you think God's caused your problems, man's caused your problems, you've had the blame game, you've given God the Heisman, (laughs) in those moments you go, hey man, for 13 years I've been wasting away, how do you want me to help you? I'm not going to help you. I'm going to die in that prison. There's no guarantees I'm going to get out or do anything. Why am I going to help you? The only time I've gotten a a, a fresh set of clothes and and, and all these years has been because I have to come into your presence. I mean, he could have just like, just basically just thrown that up. But the Bible says no. He understands who God is. And with respect and with reverence, he begins to acknowledge that. With, With a heart of humility, he begins to listen to Pharaoh. I mean, Egypt has not been good for Joseph, right? His whole time in Egypt, he's been a slave and a prisoner. And here's the man at the top of the food chain. He had a divine perspective, and he realized, man, for such a time as this, I'm here. Because listen to me, in one moment, in one day, one phone call, one email, one, let me introduce you to somebody, can change the rest of your life. Joseph understood the divine providence of God. And chose a long time ago not to look at the circumstances or the situations or the hurt or the pain. And to allow that to define him, but to allow God to define him. And he never forgot the dream. He never forgot what God had put in his heart. He never walked away from the dream. He never blamed God. And all he knew for 13 years of all the hurt and the pain that had happened to him was that God was with him. And God was with him. And God was with him. And even the life was like a game of shoots and ladders. God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. And so when Pharaoh tells him his dream, and he says, I can't, but God can. And he goes, here's what's going on. This is going to be famine. And this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. You need to do this and this and this. And you need to structure it this way so that you'll be preserve and so that you'll be saved. That's what God wants you to know. Look at verse 39 of chapter 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all, that word all in the original language means everybody, All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Look at verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years of age when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Boom. All of a sudden, everything changes. Why? Because he kept a divine perspective. And and as you read on through the rest of of Genesis, the chapter 50, you'll find that from that point, age 30, all the way until he dies, he lives in immense success and prosperity. 
You can read that any way you want to. But in all this pain, God was teaching him these 13 years. He was molding him and he was shaping him in the pit and in the prison before he ever brought him to the palace. And then he brought him to that moment. But God wasn't done. That dream was only beginning to become realized. Look, in in chapter 42 and 43 and 44, the famine kicks in. The famine is a seven-year famine. And so they're two years into the famine. And so Jacob sends his sons, Joseph's brothers, to Egypt to look for grain because there's no water, there's no grain, there's no harvesting, there's no anything. And they leave and they go. And when they get there, they encounter Joseph, although they do not know who he is. And the Bible says that Joseph realizes immediately who they are, but they don't know who he is. It's a fascinating story. I don't have time to go into it, but he kind of goes back and forth, back and forth to see if his father's alive, to see if his his younger brother Benjamin uh, is still living, what's happened, what's going on. And these guys don't know. And in chapter 45, look at chapter 45, Joseph finally just can't take it any longer. He reveals himself to his brothers. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. I love love verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now I'm just going to tell you, when we get to heaven, and that's on the IMAX and the heavenly, that's going to be a scene worth watching. That's going to be like, you can't handle the truth moments. I'm just telling you right there. He said, he said, But his brothers were not able to answer him. I love this phrase. Because they were terrified at his presence. It was like one of those, oh, okay. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold in Egypt. It's been 13 years. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save the lives that God sent be ahead of you. See, he gets it, divine perspective. He gets the providence. He gets the sovereign hand of God. For two years, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there's going to be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on the earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. That goes all the way back to what God promised Abraham and Isaac, his grandfather and his great-grandfather. And so then, verse 8 is great. If you highlight or underline your Bible, verse 8 is, is, is awesome. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. I want you to think about that for a minute. Joseph gets it. The moment he could lash out, the moment that he could just take a full can on his brothers, the moment he could have vengeance, the moment he could have revenge, the moment that he has them, all that comes out of him is love. All that comes out of him is this understanding that God's brought him for such a time as this. There's no hatred. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. There's no revenge. There's no anger. There's no hurt because he realized that what the enemy tried to use to harm him, God was using for his good. That although his brothers didn't understand and he didn't understand, but he sees the working hand of God and he realizes one thing, that man doesn't control his life. Only God does. And I'm telling you, somebody here today, you need to hear that. Man does not control the destiny of your life. God does. The Bible says that the kingdoms of this world, God raises up and he brings down. 
That he holds the entire oceans of this earth and the hollow of his hand. The Bible says that there's no one that comes from promotion. doesn't come from the east or from the west. It doesn't come from a horizontal relationship, but from God above. And Joseph was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't take credit for where I got to. (laughs) Don't take credit and props for where I'm at. No, 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 no. It's been God that has providentially brought me here. How does that happen? How do you get with no bitterness? How do you go through life and keep your spirit like Teflon so that nothing sticks to it? Look at chapter 50, verse 20. Chapter 50, verse 20. He tells him again to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph operated his entire life with a divine perspective. He operated his entire life with a divine perspective. He realized that God was in control and that man, although they thought they were pulling things, although they thought they had some control, although they thought they were spinning wheels and making deals, they were just men. But if he would trust in the Lord with all of his heart and lean not to his own understanding, but acknowledge God in all of his ways, that God would guide and direct his path. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to the man, but the end thereof is death. David didn't trust anything but that. And the key to his divine perspective was his attitude. It was his attitude. The key to Joseph's divine perspective was his attitude. This is what kept him all these years, was his attitude, was he had this divine perspective, and what, what that hinged on was attitude. It was a choice, is what I'm trying to say. Divine perspective isn't something that you can just pray to get, or you can just fast to get, or go over here and listen to this tape series, and this will help you. No, the key to divine perspective is that you choose. I have two children, I tell them every day, my wife, we tell them every day, you choose your attitude. Nobody chooses your attitude for you. Life may happen, but you choose your attitude. What kind of attitude are you going to choose? Maybe gray outside, maybe cold. That wind may be coming out of the north, whistling through the trees. You may not want to get out and work or do anything, but you choose your attitude. It may be sunny, and your feet may be in that beautiful white sand of, of, of Destin, Florida, and, and you're just drinking your lemonade, and, and, and it's 75 degrees, and life is great. You get to choose your attitude. And I just want to end with this. Chuck Swindoll, I gave him props for his book on Joseph, he talks about this attitude, divine perspective, and he gives three statements. And I want to give these to you really quick and then we're done. He says, when I am able by faith to see God's plan in my location, my attitude will be right. When I am able by faith to see God's plan in my location, my attitude will be right. Ask yourself that. Are you able to see by faith God's plan in your location? But I'm not where I want to be. Exactly. I'm not where I think I should be. Exactly. I didn't deserve to be sold into slave, slavery. I shouldn't be in the, in the prison. Exactly. The Bible never says that, that Joseph was exonerated for what happened at Potiphar's house. The only person that knew the truth was him and God. Second statement. When I'm able by faith to sense God's hand in any situation, my attitude will be right. Are you able by faith to sense God's hand in any situation? Well, life stinks right now, Aaron. I've lost everything. It's real great for you to say that because you're, you're, you get a job and you're paid and da-da-da-da-da, but I don't have that. Can you sense God in your situation? Well, right now, man, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting hell. 
I mean, everything I've done, man, I'm just, it's just, I'm, I'm caving in. Are you able by faith to sense God in your situation? Because if you are, your attitude's right. If not, you've got to make a choice. But I don't feel like it. Hey, man, I don't feel like it either. There's a lot of days I don't feel like doing it. But I walk by faith and not by my feelings. I walk by faith and not by my emotions. And the third statement is this. When I am able by faith to accept both location and situation as good, even when there's been evil in the process, my attitude will be right. Even when I've been done wrong, even when I've had people give, make false accusations, even when my character has been attempted to be assassinated, even when people have spoken evil against me, even when people said I was done, even when people tried to harm me, even when they tried to kill me, even when they tried to enslave me, when I'm able by faith to accept that both my location in life and my situation is good, even though there's been evil in the process, my attitude will be right. That's divine perspective. I just want to ask you a question. What are the betrayals, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas that you're dealing with that you didn't cause? You didn't sin. You didn't make a mistake. What are those things? Write those down. If not now, later. Write those down. Is there anything there? Ask the Lord. Get along with God and just say, Lord, is there anything? He'll tell you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Why? Because you don't want that stuff floating around inside of you. You need to deal with that. You need to acknowledge that. Not before me or for anyone else. What's my perspective? Is it a human perspective? Of oh me and mine, I've been done wrong? Little Johnny Paycheck, hey, won't you play another somebody's done somebody wrong song? I mean, is it that? Serious. We as Christians can be the worst. We can raise our hands, we can read our Bible, but when life starts coming at us at 100 miles an hour, like, 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 I mean, when it starts barreling down on us, it's in those moments where we've got a choice. And do I see it from human perspective, my perspective, I've been done wrong, or do I see it from divine perspective? Because it's a matter of choice, folks. Because look at Joseph. He doesn't have the benefit of, of, of chapter 40, 41. He doesn't have the benefit of seeing how it ends. For 13 years. And then how's your attitude? Because you choose your attitude. Because there's going to be shoulda, coulda, wouldas that you didn't cause and that you can't control that are going to come at you in life. And the only choice that you have is are you going to trust the Lord or are you going to trust yourself? Are you going to trust His divine perspective? And keep a right attitude? Are you going to allow yourself to become disillusioned and embittered? Because remember, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What the enemy intended to harm you, God has intended for your good to accomplish what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. And I know in a room, Lord, like this, God, I know there are people that are struggling God, with betrayals, with, with accusations, God, with, 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 with just, God, with life, with hurts, with pain that they didn't cause. And Lord, there's a time to cry out to you, but, but then there's a time where we just kind of go, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. 
And there's seasons in our life where all we know is that you're with us. That's all we know. All we know is that we didn't do that and we're just going to keep doing the right thing regardless of what everybody else does. And those moments are hard, but they become defining moments because they actually define the destiny that you have for us. Because, Lord, your word's very clear that you have a plan and a purpose. There's a dream for everybody's life. Without a vision, without a dream for our life, we perish. We, 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 we cease to exist. And we've got an enemy that goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, trying to destroy us and destroy the God dream that you put in our heart. But if we'll trust in you, if we'll listen to you, not trust in Aaron, not trust in the church, not trust in life church, but trust in you, Lord. And we'll have a divine perspective, which is our choice. Then we will choose a right attitude. Even if it's every moment of every day, God, you'll see us through. And more than you will be with us, you will produce in us and through us, Lord, your divine will and your plan. I pray, God, for those in this room that are struggling, help them. For those in this room, Lord, that that are battling this, help them. I pray let them listen to your voice today. Let them open your word today. And God, let them live this out. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.